Whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, just stop. Look everyone in the eyeballs or someone in the eyeballs. And if it's just you, find a mirror and then say loudly, I promise to be part of a nicer world. Can you do that? If, if you're in a crowd, you might get some looks. If you're with your family, I bet you get some hugs. If you're getting pulled over right now, maybe the police officer will let you go. Eh, probably not. I mean, <laughs> cops in Rochester maced a nine-year-old girl in the face the other day because she wouldn't stop crying. That's not very super nice. Anyway, forget I said the police thing. Just, just commit to being part of a nicer world out loud right now. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. I'm going I'm to show you how it's done. I promise to be an active part of a nicer world. One where nine-year-olds don't have to respond to police officers telling them to stop acting like a kid by saying, but, but I am a kid. Actually, by crying those words through tears of pepper spray. True story. Google it. Anyway, do you drink coffee? If you do, you'll love this podcast. If you don't, you're still going to love the podcast because our guests, Nolan and Shari Herty, are the super, super nice founders of Proud Mary Coffee, considered by many to be among the best coffee roasters in the world. Proud Mary was founded back in 2009 in Melbourne, Australia, and then expanded to Portland, Oregon, where it quickly upped the local cafe service game and made a name for their insanely great coffee and food and food. Not only are they making killer coffee, they're also serving some of the best savory breakfasts in, in a coffee culture. Well, a coffee cafe culture, I guess. I don't know the difference. But one that too often leaves us with very little choices other than sweet, unhealthy pastries and cookies. It doesn't matter if they're gluten-free. They're still full of sugar, right? But at uh, Proud Mary, their dedication to produce fairness goes way beyond any fair trade stamp. And what I really love about them is how they've managed to have an outsized impact on a giant industry. And they do it through thick and thin as a married couple. That stuff ain't easy, folks. And I read somewhere online, or maybe it was in a dream, Proud Mary offers products and services that improve the start of your day so dramatically that it's impossible to go back to the way things used to be. Speaking of dreams, speaking of dreams, check out this dream I just happened to find this morning as I was cooking up this intro in my dream journal from uh, September 21, 2004. It has nothing to do with podcasting or coffee, but I'm just going to read it anyway. Pool party. The Hulk is there along with a very broad stout man who is almost as large as the Hulk. Stout man challenges Hulk. Hulk says, no, no, I don't want to hurt you. Hulk, embarrassed by the confrontation in front of party guests, finally flicks his finger at the guy, sending him 100 feet into the air. Guy lands in my arms. I'm super strong now. And I throw him way up in the air, aiming for a pool landing. He lands his head right at the lip of the pool. And all goes quiet as we're certain he's been horribly injured. I walk over, cannot find him, wondering at the pneumatics that have been installed to allow me to throw this man like some sort of Universal Studios trick. Then a, a worm polywog thing crawls out of the pool, which is all that is left of the fellow. 
The Hulk strongly desires to protect me, and we leave to cross the country on foot. He is now a remote-controlled Toyota 4Runner about two feet long, and I am a basketball. <laughs> we set out, bumping into each other and rolling along. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my dream. I don't know why I just read it to you, but I did. Hope you got some, some good visuals there. All right, let's move on to this week's anti-sponsor. Meaning instead of paying for a plug to Super Nice Club, to Nice Work, they just have to be Super Nice Club members in good standing, doing nice things in the world and offer a little something extra to you, their fellow members of the Super Nice Club. This week, we're proud to tell you about HIT360. That's HIT with two eyes. HIT360. You know, like High Intensity Interval Training, H-I-I-T 360. Based in the UK, not so far from London, Jason Shepard and his wife and their, their company make killer home fitness gear to help you hit your potential with uh, the HIT360 Home Fitness Station, providing fitness and fun for everyone. So go to HIT, that's with two eyes. I know I just said it like it sounded like three, but no, that's a different site. H-I-I-T 360.com. Or just go to Instagram. You can find them at HIT360UK. Oh, and they're offering Super Nice Club members a free set of TRX bands when you buy with the code SUPERNICE. All right? And as for HIT training, it's kind of the bomb. I mix it into my workout at least three times a week. I swear by it. So if you're looking to up your fitness game during COVID, check out HIT360.com. They built these super contact, compact, contact. You can contact them about their super compact gyms. I'm pretty sure they ship to the USA and Canada. They probably um, put it like on a, like a Viking long ship with lots of people rowing and getting fit the whole way. I mean, how long do you think that would take? You know, like one of those, those, you know, the Norwegian long ships with maybe like a couple hundred Amelia Boone and Ed Gamester types, just super fit humans, just rowing for fun and stoked to be delivering to you the Hit 360 fitness machine dream machine of your dreams. Yeah. So that's our anti-sponsor. They did not pay for that awkward ad. I uh, did not write it in advance. You don't have to pay for it either. Just reach out and I'll be sure to make your product sound totally weird and unattainable as well. All right, back to coffee. Ready? Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world and drop in to nice work with Shari and Nolan Herty of Proud Mary Coffee. Just listen, and I promise you'll fall in love with them. They're, they went from sweat equity partners to world conquerors, and they're just doing it the right way. They didn't let their lack of direct experience stop them. They, they just really rooted in their passion for what they wanted to achieve and let that guide them through. And, and just think about that as you listen to this podcast and think about your own passions and any excuses that you may be making or may have had been making that have kept you from doing some really great stuff. And uh, oh, I'm your host, by the way, Todd Brilliant. And this is the Nice Work Podcast, a podcast of the Super Nice Club. If you're not familiar with the Super Nice Club, super easy to fix. Just Google those three words, all right? You'll find out all about us. All right, here we go. Shari, Nolan, thank you for being on Nice Work. It's great to have you on. Nice to be here, dude. Thanks yeah. for having us, Todd. So I know that you're from Portland. Well, you're not from Portland, but your shop's in Portland. One of your two shops, the other one's in Melbourne. Are you in Portland right now? 
We sure are, yeah. Yeah. We've been here now for um, four years. Four years, yeah. yeah. Okay. And from just outside of Melbourne before or? Uh, from Melbourne. We were in Melbourne. Um, we started like Proud Mary uh, 11 years ago. So, yeah, I was living there for a while, but Nolan was in Perth before, but yeah. That's right. You grew up around Perth. So, mm-hmm. shout out to my family in Perth. Is that right? Kelly, her husband okay. Wallace. Yeah, my yeah. nieces Morgan and Kareen. Yeah, I got, yeah. got a lot of family. You need, in to Perth. Go, you need to go visit your family, dude. Perth is like uh, the place to be right now. They, they kind of tell me that. Oh, and I man. keep saying, yeah, yeah, next year. So, I, I have. Oh, dude, yeah, it's amazing there. COVID gives the big out, right? Like, Kelly, I would love to come see you right now. I just can't. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're COVID free there, dude. I mean, yeah. I know, but they don't think they probably don't want, you know, somebody from no, Los they, Angeles they playing out there. No, no, yeah. no, not welcome. <laughs> so you have two shops then or are there more? Uh, there's kind of more. I mean, there's there's two um, restaurants, uh, mm-hmm. but really there's a um, – I guess like the mothership of the coffee roastery in Melbourne, which uh, inside it has a retail space called Honey Pegs. It also has a training school called the um, Collingwood Coffee College, and that's the factory where we roast all the coffee um, as well as office and a commissary kitchen. So it kind of has a bunch of things coming under one roof, um, and the original cafe is just two blocks away. Moving here, uh, we started with a restaurant um, on Alberta Street. Uh, we, you know, restaurant is something that we had to learn to call it in the US. We would call it a cafe in Australia, but it's really full service breakfast and lunch, as well as specialty coffee um, and sit down service. It's not uh, walk up to the counter. We also have where we're sitting right now is the old roastery space, same building, just a different room. And we've just moved that to North Williams, and that is going to be the beginning of what will be Arnie Pegg's in Portland as well. So another another high-end retail coffee, uh, black coffee only kind of experience, yeah. Oh, wow. So you're going to have a training school, the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, tra- training is um, something that has been fundamental for us. Or like education, one of our core values has been education uh, the whole time. And um, we love whether it's just for people at home to get more out of what they're doing or some enjoyment or, uh, you know, um, even a corporate group just to expand their mind on what coffee can be or some hardcore coffee geeks wanting to push the boundaries. Okay, so Proud Mary Coffee, more than a few say that you source and roast, you know, the best coffee in the world. I mean, I'm making a big claim right now. I get that. But if you're listening out there, uh, here's here we go. If you're listening out there and you think that that's a bold claim, I dare you to prove me wrong. And the only way you can do that is by sending what you think is the best coffee in the world to 1001 Kenfield Avenue in Los Angeles. And like maybe a new grinder too. And then I'll do a yeah. test. I'll do a, I'll do, I'll do a comparison and let you know what I think. That sounds fair. So, yeah, I think fair. you have better coffee than Proud Mary <laughs> sent it to me. And I'll let you know. Okay, I'm not biased. No, so you make... You're very passionate about this, and you make very, very good coffee. Coffee I've tasted, I can, I can attest to that. I know it's very subjective, etc. How long did it take you to go? You said you started 11 years ago in Melbourne. How long before you guys really were recognized as premium coffee roasters? Um, you know, I mean, um, I'm someone that's reasonably, um, uh, I, I guess you'd say, un, unhinged. Our approach was not like the normal. <laughs> Um, and we really like, I mean, it goes back more than 11 years, 11 years when we started Proud Mary, my passion definitely goes further back than that. It's been probably like, um, 20, 22 years maybe in coffee. Um, but Proud Mary was definitely 
our first opportunity to do something on our own. We had a business before Proud Mary that was in partnership, and that was the leg up that we um, that we needed to get to get um, on our feet. Mm-hmm. Um, Proud Mary was it's really interesting, man, because I was so hungry to be the best in the world and to just really push what what can coffee be, how good can it be, what's possible, and what do I need to do? And so from the very get-go of Proud Mary, I had all the latest, best pieces of equipment you could possibly get your hands on for coffee. And it was like, well, you know what? The theory was well, let's not let the equipment hold us back. Let's have the best tools we possibly can to do the job. Right. And then let's go and find the best coffee on the planet and just learn how to uh, woo the magic out of it the best that we possibly can. And so it was this big deep dive and uh, exploration onto what is possible. And every time I kept peeling back a layer, it was like, holy crap, that makes it better. Let's do another one. And honestly, man, the amount of money that we – happily through at the unknown exploring like well what if we what if we build this and I, I I've had so much fun um, inventing things and um, doing stupid ideas of like would that work and um, definitely blew a ton of cash but sometimes man we carved a new path that no one saw coming and um, somehow that continues to happen with coffee it hasn't it hasn't plateaued it hasn't um, stopped we we have a lot to learn about it and it feels like the wine industry 20 years ago um there's a lot of growth to still happen and um it's super exciting to be in the industry still 22 years later you know i just want to say also that like we did do it all on our own you know the cafe before was like we kind of scrounged together a bit of money in partnership and while no one was doing these crazy ideas i'm the one like you know we both don't have business degrees We've just kind of fell into it, so it was a real it was a real leap of faith. Um, but it's kind of one of those things that I think when you know you want to do something and you can have like a really big impact with something as real as coffee, which is the people, the coffee farmers, then that's what keeps you going, even when stuff gets really hard. You know, yeah. yeah. So let's go back to that 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 period of time. You you said a minute ago, Nolan, that that you had a. Um a business that gave you the leg up, right? Yeah. So by that you mean it gave you the the uh, financial sort of breathing room yes, to take a, to take yeah. a risk, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. But if if the risk failed, you guys are in a world of hurt, right? Sure. Yeah. So what was that like? What was that period of time when you when you two decided, you know, all the money that we've that we've sort of accrued is yep. going to go into this next venture. Yeah. Right. And so if we make it, awesome. If we don't, eh, not so awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I could, I'm just thinking about some memories on this because it kind of it stirs stuff up. And I can remember before meeting Shari, and uh, this is getting personal, but um, I was engaged to a girl named Shadi, and um, which is kind of funny. Same name, just like a <laughs> D and R. But her parents. We got engaged and her parents were like, uh, he's not educated uh, and hasn't got his degrees and um, hasn't studied university and gone gone further. And I, it pissed me off. I was like, man, that's so judgmental that I'm not going to be any good for someone because I'm not educated. Fuck this. And I, I knew um, 
how much of an opportunity was sitting in front of me. I could I could feel it and see it almost well before it happened to the point that I had a really big set of confidence um, behind what I was doing. And when uh, – so I actually like went into um, a coffee competition in Western Australia and I, I, I came second in the Western Australian British Champs around the time that me and Shari met and then I, and then I, I ended up winning the competition the following year and that was kind of as a leg up. That as was, a barista? Yeah, as a barista and it was like oh, kind, of oh, okay. like, kind of cool to prove to the community that, that I could. That you knew your shit. Yeah, yeah, but also like it was kind of cool then to go from Western Australia to Melbourne and go, well, hey, guys, I'm the West Australian British Jam, which might not have meant much. Didn't but I'm, much in Melbourne, but I'm coming time. here. I'm, <laughs> I'm coming here to, to throw down. Right. And liar, liar was a business before Proud Mary. I had negative ten thousand dollars to my name from a trip to the US, where I um, man, I saw some things happening in the US that were not happening in Australia, and that that also gave us a massive um, head start on the coffee scene in Melbourne because there was there was there was a couple of pieces that were missing in the Australian market. And I met a, a guy that I went to work for and he's gone on to be this amazing success story in, in Melbourne and uh, I worked for his business and um, within the first couple of weeks, he's like, hey, let's do something together because I kind of brought the coffee component and he had this incredible restaurant experience yeah, and incredible. really good operator. And anyway, we, we went off and did Liar Liar and the, the deal was there was three of us. I had no money to put in. But this is the thing and I want to kind of encourage people here, man, Money is not – it's not like something that should be um, a barrier, yeah. even though it feels like an incredibly heavy barrier. And I've had a lot of people that have, of, the, of the years even um, worked for me that when they left, they were like, hey, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to save up and I, wanna, I want to earn more money so I can do my own business. And my response to that was like, well, that's kind of silly because if you're going to save up to do your own business, dude, how long do you think it's going to take? How about, how about you just start – with a really good concept. If your concept is that freaking good, people are going to believe in you and you'll have access to what you need to get it going. It's more about like really knowing what it is that you're going to do. And I had a really clear vision about what we needed to bring to the community in Melbourne and Nathan, our business partner, could really see that. And so he, three of us, I had no money. The the goal was... um, the budget was $50,000 Australia that they were willing to put in, this, the, the two other people. Uh, we built everything ourselves. It was it was the cheapest fit-out we could possibly do but to look nice. And he was a clever dude in the design department. So it, it looked really cool for the fact that we, we spent uh, $90,000 in the end. Okay. Um, and that place, you know, it, it still took time. And I remember what was funny, man, is um, six months in, the other partners, they both wanted out. They were like, this isn't going to work. I'm out. And it was this really hard slog of getting this thing off the ground. But I believe so heavily in it um, and to the point that I'm like, well, I'll, I'll buy you guys out if that's the case. You know, I'm going to stick this out. And during that period of this like uh, kind of back and forth between us, suddenly the business just started to flourish. And they also, we stayed in and um, – it was only nine months into the business that someone came along and was like, hey, I want to buy your business and offered $750,000 to buy this business that we'd set up for $90,000. Um, 
That was when the recession hit. That deal didn't go through. We ended up um, selling it um, a year and a half in for um, six hundred k Australian. I, we I had a check to my name for one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars and twenty five grand in cash, and it was an incredible moment because man, I really walked through fire and hard times, and there was there was a period there where I mean. Me and Shari are about to have our um, 12th wedding anniversary. When I pro- Congrats. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. When, I, when I proposed to Shari, it was during that time. And oh, okay. We were earning, well, I mean, I, I didn't. We nothing I for didn't, five months and I was studying photography at, at um, RMIT University. So, yeah, so five months of working crazy hours <laughs> with zero dollars to my name. Right. And then once, once we could afford to, they started paying me $5 an hour. It was really tough. Um, but um, then there was a point where I felt like I was going to break uh, and could have lent into the darkness. And in the end, I'm like, well, screw it. I'm going to, I'm just going to have to get fitter. And I started running like Forrest Gump. I just started running. <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and it helped, man. You got to, sometimes you just got to fight harder, you know? Yeah. Um, that was that moment. So having belief and faith and trust and, and guts and courage, you, you really got to have it. Um, and getting knocked down and getting up again and knocked down again, you know, just and still just pushing and pushing and pushing. You know, you just can't give up. So, Shari, tell me the story then, you know, where I want to know where you got involved in this. So what that means is. Yeah, so for me... I want like, to hear I, the where you two met story. I need to hear where you guys met because that's uh, cool. What's so cool yeah. is... or Tell me whatever version you want to tell me. You know, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's so cool is that you two are that rare couple who can make it work at home and in business. And there's all kinds of stresses in business that tear at relationships, as so many of us know. You know, so I, I do kind of want to hear about that. Yeah, so we met through like a mutual friend, um, Nolan actually lived in New Zealand way back and um, her name's Donya and they were like good friends. They even like dated for a bit. And then when I landed in Melbourne um, probably 15 years or so ago, I ended up in this like cool restaurant, work at this Egyptian restaurant and um, moved into this share house with Donya. And so we kind of like met each other through that, which is really cool. And I would say I felt like I kind of knew him before we even met like in person. We met in Melbourne kind of like out partying, <laughs> not that anything happened. Um, and then I was actually... Um, I think we knew on the phone. I mean, yeah. there was there was a there was a moment then, man, where I had my heart broken by uh, Shadi, which yeah. was kind of funny. And I called Donya, who was, like Shari said, an old friend, just to have a cry. Right. And I called Donya, I'm yeah. like crying on the phone, I'm in pieces. And she's like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, you should really meet my best friend, Shari. And I'm like, sorry, <laughs> what? How do, you, how do you spell that? And she's like, S-H, I'm like, no, 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 too close. We're never going to be friends. And um, <laughs> the next time I called Donya, Shari answered the phone. And it just, you know, you could, you could hear it in the voice, man. It was really um, warm and welcoming and safe. And I, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. there was something right there in that moment, you know. Yeah, so oh, I, I was studying photography and then I moved over. I, I took a bit of a break and I reached out to Nolan saying, I'm going to like travel around Australia and, you know, maybe I can crash at your place like for a bit in Perth because I'd never been to Perth and kind of went over and then, you know, it happened. Um, and then I was like, well, I'm heading back to Melbourne and that was when you said, 
I'll come over to Melbourne. And for me, I could really see that like being in Perth is it's it's like beautiful, but it's a little bit sleepy. Um, and the stuff that was happening in, in Melbourne was kind of way more exciting. And I could definitely well, I'd see actually, the potential. I'd actually signed a lease to do a business in Perth. And we had so, I had such a big following in Perth in the coffee scene. And and then I went to that trip to the States. And while I'm over in the States, I realized a couple of things. One is that I should marry Shari. That was the, the right the right girl for me. And two, there was no point doing this amazing business in Perth because the whole world wouldn't see it. Perth is like kind of like the most isolated city in the world. And yeah. if I was to do something in Melbourne, it's on an international platform and I could see myself – London or New York from Melbourne. And so that 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 kind of was like, well, yeah, I'm going to move to Melbourne. Yeah, and then so when like starting Proud Mary, for me, like it's, it's really funny and I don't know, like not many people know this, I actually don't drink coffee. Um, I never have. So it's really funny to be like, you know, owning a coffee company. But, but for me, like I grew up on a farm in South Australia. My parents worked so hard their whole life, you know, on the land. And for me, the really big thing that drives me is that connection with the farmer. So that that's for me, like that that's where I have the fire in my belly <laughs> to stand up for what's right for the farmers. Because I know how hard it is, even in a country like Australia, which is in a lot of ways far more privileged than most coffee growing regions, which are underdeveloped countries. But that that's what drives me. Yeah. And Nolan likes the likes the limelight. I'm more behind the scenes. So I think that's like a a really good match and I think that's worked really well actually in the company I think um in some ways it's been hard to be behind the scenes and then in some ways I think it's been hard to be the face as well absolutely so as a working relationship as a married couple do you guys have clearly defined roles or is there a lot of sort of overlap or like you know you talk everything out you know which which way works for you guys I think initially it was like a real mishmash and it was challenging there, there weren't really defined roles as much. I've, I mean, I think I've always had the reins on the business and the, the final decision. I've always leaned into um, Shari to, as a sounding board with everything that we've done. We've kind of made calls on together. But at the end of the day, it was me that had to kind of go in and have that chat or um, yeah. fire the bullet or whatever it was. And it, it definitely – I have felt the weight on, on, on my shoulders a fair bit. Um, but – uh, clearly defined roles. I mean, it, it it seemed to be just that way for us. It was definitely not clearly defined, but it it was. I was the face. I would make the final call and and run the run the business towards the staff and everyone else. But Shari um, always had this like eye on what was happening in the background and her attention to detail in terms of the numbers but also how we showed up in the world, like uh, the images. Um, Shari studied photography, so our, we were a blessing and a curse. You know, our um, Instagram or our social media, she held it She held it really close to her chest and made sure that it, it actually said something or kind of um, was good enough to be put up there. And, I mean, the world's changed, dude, in, in, the, in the 11 years that we've been in business. Right. That piece has become really relevant and important. Whereas 11 years ago, it was just uh, for fun. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, you know, someone who's worked in, in design and marketing for years, I've actually also been involved in, in the design of, of, of more than one coffee bag 
project. And so, right. you know, these are these are tricky things. And yep. so, I, so I just, I, I reflexively look at coffee bags whenever I go to a shop now. That's just the design geek in me, right? Your stuff is amazing. And I was going to ask you about this, you know, is that clearly the attention to detail is all there and on your Instagram feed and all that and the joy, the little details that you get to read, you know, you look into the, the drawings. Are you working with other artists you know, to, to yeah, make this happen? Is this all? It's, it's pretty much been the same artist the whole time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, we've had some extra help uh, in Portland, which has been great to kind of like grow it up a little bit. Yeah, so um, our graphic designer, he's based in Melbourne and he's, his name's Simon Childerhouse. He's he's like our secret weapon. He designed our crazy kind of craft bag, which we still have mm-hmm. for like our kilo bags of coffee way back. Like it was like nine years ago. And for us, like because we're both creative, um, you know, Nolan likes to build things and has fitted out a lot of the cafes and has done art in the past, like painting and, and uh, you know, photographer. Um but, like, Simon for us was the only one who could, like, understand what was going on in our head when we couldn't necessarily mm-hmm. articulate it. <laughs> yeah, and he's actually helped with the redesign. Like, we relaunched our bags, like, six months ago, and they're based into categories of, like, more about how you feel. Yeah, um, that's so fun. Which for us is, like, it, it, I, I feel like we – it takes so long to do stuff sometimes, and um, coffee has been um, – especially coffee's been quite unapproachable, I think, for a lot of people. It's really hard to navigate, like, what are these varietals? What are the processes? And putting them into the categories of feelings has has kind of, I think, made them make more sense. It's very playful, which is what we love because that's what yeah. Mary's about. What are they? It's like mild and wild. And yeah, mild, mild curious, curious and wild. wild. Um, kind of like, okay. um, again, catching up with other industries, but – I mean, you, you know what kind of wine you like, man. You go to the bottle store, you know what a Pinot is going to do compared to a Shiraz or a Sav Blanc beer. You know what kind of beer to kind of navigate depending on, like, your mood. Um, stand in front of a wall of coffee, what are you going to do? What What is Maragipe? What is a natural process? What What is, you know, uh, anaerobic? Uh, these things just fly over people's heads and we've done a really bad job as a coffee industry of bringing the consumer along. So... Breaking it down into like a simple category of mild, easy drinking, a little bit more interesting, and then full noise, kind of like loud. Absolutely, um, I think it's I think it's so great, and I wanted to ask you about this. So I'm glad that you brought it up because in a, in a different life, I was in the wine business, co-founded right. a winery. Um, we built it from scratch, thirty thousand cases, the whole shebang. Right, we yeah. did we did everything, and it seemed back then, and this was you know twenty years ago, that one really had to go to some length to to get the best wine, to open it properly, to air it, to store it the right way, pump it, blah, blah, blah. It was just so complicated and expensive that it turned off casual consumers yeah. who would rather just like crack a beer. So I was going to get into with you guys sort of whether there is a parallel in in the gourmet coffee world or or is it just sort of as simple as if, if you don't want to get complicated with coffee, you can always just get your fix at Dunkin' Donuts and that's fine. Um I think what's happened, man, I mean, especially the coffee industry is like 1% of the industry. It's pretty small and it makes a lot of noise, um, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely like um, ruffled feathers of like the, the, the bigger kind of companies in the industry. And, and we've seen Starbucks, the biggest um, player, shift gears and open up like, you know, to appear really special and artisan. And I think that says a lot about the uh, attention that specialty has received in the last 10 years and ultimately dude like 
we, I mean, we want to see the price go up for coffee. Yeah. We want to see people pay what it's worth. You, you go get a loaf of bread. You can get a loaf of bread for two dollars. Fine. You can get a, a, a fire baked um, uh, ancient grain sourdough. It's not going to be two dollars. It's going to be more like nine or ten. Yeah. And the difference is huge. They're different things. Still called bread, but one's going to be good for you. One's not going to leave you feeling so good afterwards. Yeah. Coffee has that. Spectrum too, where it can be pretty mediocre at best, and um, but it can go right up into incredible. And being a wine guy, um, wine has two hundred and twenty chemical compounds. Coffee has eight hundred plus. So you want to get geeky and nerdy about where coffee can go. Man, it can be so complex and interesting. However, it's typically roasted dark, uh, has sugar added to it, and milk poured over it. And it's yeah. not really yeah. going to show you those that complexity like that. Um, so keep so it what simple. you're telling me is that when I get it in a can at 7-Eleven, that's probably not the most specialty I mean, coffee experience no, I can have, right? That's probably not. <laughs> well, yeah. maybe, maybe also it's about thinking about, you know, how much the farmer's getting for that. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that's where the big conversation is. But, well, that's definitely why we want to push the price up, not just because we want to um, like – see the price go up it's it's that you know 20 over 22 years ago coffee i was selling coffee for three dollars a cup you know, in new zealand in christchurch man it's now three dollars fifty four dollars a cup yeah. my rent right. but back then in new zealand um was thirty dollars a week you know what can you get for thirty dollars a week now it's 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 completely different world Yet coffee is still expected to be something that we can just hold down. Yeah. Um, and reality is it should should have doubled in price since then. So I, I would encourage consumers to loosen up a little bit and relax a bit about it and spend an extra 50 cents, spend a dollar extra, spend $2 more. Just think about where is it coming from and is and it – feel good about it, yeah. you know, like, um, you know, like pick a roaster or a company, like anything, if it's coffee or bread, I don't care. Like just think about where your stuff's coming from. Especially during these times, like yeah. you said earlier with, with the what COVID has done to um, the, 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 the landscape now, what are we going yeah. to be left with and how can we help kind of keep it something real and authentic and not just mass produced? It's, it's important – how do I say this? Yeah – so I've always felt that a nicer world certainly involves, and this is, you know, whether it's part of the Super Nice Club or in, in my earlier careers working a nonprofit, that it really has to, we, we have to find it within ourselves to pay attention to the whole supply chain of everything we buy as best we can. It gets really complicated because we buy so many things every day, right? And labeling and packaging usually isn't very clear about the supply chain. You don't really know where your things are coming from, right? Sure. But when we can... And when an industry makes it easy for us, yep. which some specialty coffee makers do make it easy for us, you can look yep. at the back, you can you can meet the farmer, the whole thing. A nicer world is one where when we can and when we can afford to do so, and we have to be honest with ourselves, right? Can we afford that or are we just saying that we can't? That's Everybody has their own choice. Yep. Yeah. We should. You know, we really should. So you have a passion, quite a passion for, for coffee and... When you go out there, do you both go out and, and visit the source, it's, et cetera? It's been, it's been me the whole time. Um, yeah. This uh, last year, I was able to bring my parents and Shari and our kids along to mm-hmm. producers that we worked with for like almost 10 years now. It in, was amazing. Um, El Salvador yes. and Guatemala. And it was it was really cool, man, for them to yeah. 
finally see where dad has been going all this time, you know? Right. Um, Shari, when you're you're out there, do you feel that the people along the chain, and most importantly, the farmers, obviously, do they share the passion for the end product, the coffee, or is it mostly just about their specialty? Like, I mean, like, obviously, you know, the farming. um, I think that they, I mean, they're so passionate. It's just amazing. And they, uh, I think often, you know, when Nolan's gone to Origin as well, um, or we've, we've shown them pictures of what, like, it looks like at the other end, which is just worlds apart. Um, yeah. When we went to Guatemala last January with the kids, uh, Annabella, um, what's her farm called? Santa Felisa. Um, Santa Felisa. Um, seeing those kids, you know, they've, Amazing farm, Mayan people who have worked on the farm for 116 years, been owned by the same family, just so passionate, so much pride in what they do day to day. They definitely don't have any comprehension of what, of what, the, it's like what it looks like at the end. Yeah. And yeah. that's pretty typical for a lot of, lot of coffee. Um, yeah. But one thing for sure, man, is that the specialty coffee from the from the producer right through to the end, it's definitely about the love that goes into it. And these people that, um, man, they pull their love in. They could be doing other things to probably um, get Make by. More money probably. But they have a lot of like just passion and desire like we do to to make something special off their land. And so it's a, it's a beautiful kind of a relationship where I've over the years been able to show the producers just how much we care about their product. And that when I get it in my hands, I'm going to do the best with that baton to kind of keep running to make sure that we um, don't drop drop it, you know. And that means that they really value getting the best stuff possible to us, and we want to take care of it. And so it's this really amazing synergy in the in the relationship. I think also we buy all types of coffee. You know, sometimes um, we'll often, uh, especially coffee is expensive to produce. It's more labour costs. It's um, trickier processing. Like if you're doing anaerobic, you know, it can go really badly. But also I wanted to say that, you know, as much as we do specialty coffee, we have coffee for just everyday coffee drinkers as well. And often at the farm level, that's what they can produce the most of. And so that's what can employ a lot of people. Um, another farmer we went to see, the Packers family, they employ up to 950 people at their peak. Maria Packers is such an amazing lady. Um, she was telling me about this program that they have where they employ um, working mums that can work for three months of the year and that's enough for them to live off for the entire year wow. and support their families. So it's also like we're very conscious about like often these amazing producers who care and are really passionate the way they're producing such great stuff is because of how they're treating their coffee workers and, and how they're treating the land. Um, mm-hmm. So it's all it all kind of makes sense, yeah. um, but we consider all of that. It, it is really interesting. I mean, and it flows over to every industry, dude. You know, like um, right. I think when you mass produce anything off the land, it, it suddenly loses its nutrients and yeah, it loses like what it. was special about it in the first place. So um, Brazil is a good example of – um, how much coffee can you produce? That, that, that country produces more coffee than any other country. And it's done a bit more like the wine industry in the sense that it's all done in rows and it, they've got machinery for everything. So it can become automated because they get very little money and so they have to be very efficient. Yet the high-end coffees like uh, varietals like Geisha, something really special, you can't plant it in a row. 
you're not going to get that complexity out of it. It needs some um, natural um, diversity um, in, in, in the environment, the birds and um, the shade and the other plants and biodiversity is like, you know, you can't beat nature. I, I love it. It's really interesting. Right. Um, and, and essentially what you get in the cup is just how beautiful it was surrounding it from where it came from, providing we've done our job properly, you know. Right. A bit of a segue, just because I almost forgot to mention it, and I want to. Uh, it's back to this detail-oriented, because I'm, I'm such a believer in whatever your enterprise, whatever your career, or even if it's not a career, just a passion, when you're paying attention to the, the smallest details, people notice. You might not think they do, but the right people notice. Mm-hmm. And when they do notice, not only does it make a difference in your business, but it's super rewarding. Like, oh, you notice, that's cool. So I want to talk about your coffee mugs. Yep. Yeah, do you have one? Hold that thing up. Nobody can see uh, it. Did you have one uh, there? Did you put it away? There, that, yeah. that, that, yes. that, the word on the street is that those are super custom and you put a lot of effort into getting them in like like that precise color. I mean, is that true? Yeah, it is. I mean, they come from Croatia uh-huh. and they're extremely difficult to um, deal with as a, yeah. a language barrier, but also just yeah, seven, just seven months later, you know, they would arrive. Yeah. Um, but they're so gorgeous, and they, they you incorporate that color into other packaging. When yeah, you walk yeah. Into your no, space, it, it, they no, jump off your counter. And I've only been to your place yeah, one time, yeah. and it was like three years ago, right? Yeah. So it's like these little, these little memories and things. It is, it is such a, uh, an amazingly put together place. The space, I love it. So those cups, they take a lot of work for you to get, and it's something that like hardly anybody's going to notice, right? The, yeah. the, the instant reward, if you just want to look at things on an ROI basis, right? Sure. The, I cannot imagine that those cups are quote-unquote worth it. Sure. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's funny you mention it because there was a speech at um, our 10th anniversary in Melbourne from the cafe manager in Melbourne, and he was reflecting on the years of him working there, and it'd be about six years now that he's been um, – working there for us, if not seven, he remembered a, a meeting where we all sat down with the baristas in the Melbourne Cafe and I gave the, this opportunity to kind of like open up well, how we're going to how we're going to evolve this coffee and make it better and uh, the argument was between the double shot and the split shot and recipes and, and then one of, the, one of the baristas piped up and was like, oh, why have we got so many cups? There's too many different types of cups. It's, it's a pain. Can't we just do one cup for this and like, and I, I threw the hammer down on um, about the idea of making things special. It's about the customer. It's not about making your job easier. It's actually like we want to make these little moments where the customer uh, feels special because they've ordered a special drink and that particular drink deserves its own cup. And it's the same every time because... It, it, you know, it, I, I love it, man. Right. I think it's, it's really such a beautiful thing to be able to try and spark joy in someone's day and to kind of make them feel special and cared for and like, you know, we really we really do. It does matter, you know? Well, it's part of their ceremony. Yeah. So you're, it's part of a lot of people's daily ceremony. Yes, I'm not going to slot and, that And you're making out, yeah. it. Yeah, it's a great thing. It's a great thing that you did there. And the detail in your food, it's – I think you're the first cafe I've gone to that was – just a full-blown restaurant. And I sat down and I said at the time to, to the people I was with, I said, this, this might be the best breakfast I've had. It was that good to me. Maybe I was just super hungry. Okay, just caveat. I could have just been extremely hungry. 
But and I don't even remember what I had. I think it was no, uh, no, uh, which of you two? Who who's the food person? We we both have a big passion for food. I, I, yeah, I've been really lucky to grow up with. Uh, my my mum was an amazing cook and just really spoiled us our whole life. So we've we've been surrounded with with food. You know, it's probably been the love language for us in our family has been around the, okay. the, the table. Yeah. Um, also, like Auntie Peg, um, like we talked about at in, yeah. at our roastery in Melbourne, Auntie Peg was actually the nickname for Nolan's grandmother, who was also an amazing cook. Well, that's true. I mean, the reason um, my mum was such a good cook is she was trying to impress my dad yeah. because Auntie Peg <laughs> was so good at cooking. And yeah, so we're, we don't, like... We're not chefs. Like I've done some kitchen handwork over the years way back, like when I first worked in hospitality, but um, we know what's good and um, we love food. And yeah, I think I it's, it's, it's like a it. way to like bring people together. It's about connection. It's like why do you work in hospitality if you don't want to connect? You know, it's, it's what you do. I think it's interesting, you know, you said like might be the best breakfast you've ever had in your life. And I, I don't think that was like by mistake or by chance. I think like we put a lot of effort into – making breakfast special because it was kind of like left off the table it was lunch and dinner that chefs would mm-hmm. actually care about the food breakfast oh it's just eggs and we were we set out fiercely in melbourne 11 years ago to, well let's put breakfast on the map yeah let's get the chefs in town let's give them a place to go to eat and all of a sudden it became more than just coffee it became like well who's got the best chef in town doing breakfast oh, and, the best hot and, it, 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 it's amazing, and so the Mel- the Melbourne breakfast scene is really like um, spectacular. You know, it's kind of um, it's a lot of fun. Um, and at some point, we felt maybe overwhelmed with the amount of noise in the Melbourne space that we had started had now like just become uh, you know overtaken everything, and um, the idea of bringing that. To a completely different landscape, yeah, became super exciting. And Portland, coffee mecca in the US, it's definitely got a lot of regard for its, you know, amount of coffee shops, amount of roasters. It was really nice to be able to bring that food component to that. Yeah, and then I just want to say also that like bringing ideas from America back to Australia, it's like the perfect match, you know. Yeah, both ways. We did that. Mm. It was speaking of that, the winery life back in about 2000, did a wine tour of Australia and brought back uh, what was a hot trend there, but was not a hot trend in right. the USA, yeah. uh, which was the, uh, at the time, which was just the completely, completely unoaked Sauvignon Blanc. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, Chardonnay. Right. Unoaked Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we brought that back, did it and won, you know, all the, the, the top prize right. and all this stuff. It just went crazy with it everybody right. was our, our winemaker was not into doing it yeah had to really you know twist his arm to do sure. it did it and it turned out to be amazing so it, it goes both ways right? yeah i think that's that. i mean anyone listening i think that's a great uh place to start in terms of like what's a good idea i mean i i don't think you always need to um be the first i think sometimes you can be inspired by what some other culture or some other place is doing and be the first in your area to do it, you know. Absolutely. Bring, bring different things and, and – um, different- And you don't have to be expert necessarily. It's just your passion. Here's my sure. – what I love talking to you guys is, you know, Shari's like, you know, I, I, I've never – never didn't, don't cook. Neither one of us cooked. Neither one of us have a business background. Didn't have any money to speak of. Not enough to, you know. Oh, no, I didn't have any back. we had a driving <laughs> passion. Yeah, and that's what saw you through. It's like and it, all these excuses that people would normally have, like, "Oh, you know, people won't take me seriously because 
I've never done that before. Right. But then yeah. again, you have a great idea. You're saying, hey, over here in, in this part of the country or this part of the world, they're doing this. I think people would love it here. You know, and I have yeah. the passion for it. People will fund you. People yeah. will get behind you. People 100%. will figure out solutions with you. That's that's inspiring stuff. And now here you are. You're you're bona fide business experts. Yeah. You're bona fide experts in food and coffee. And it just happens when you as the as the time goes by and as you just do the work. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, I can, I can remember and I'm sure Shari can too. I mean, we put in some hard yards and there was a, a long period of time where I can remember my body just not being happy with me but I'm like well you're gonna get up and get out of bed and get in the shower and and get after it and I I just kept um pushing through and it was the desire to make it happen like you know you, you mentioned oh hopefully it's gonna work out or like uh, risky right for me it was like nope um I'm gonna make it work and if it goes bad I'm gonna fucking fix it dude and so it it, it I think it, it helped to be to just be ready to, to get after it. Um, yeah. Definitely, if you're worried about losing sleep, um, maybe, maybe not, you know. And maybe don't have kids at the same time starting <laughs> a business. <laughs> yeah. So you guys had this Melbourne shop that was just going off and a guy from the States walks in off the street, right? Butch, yeah. yeah. Butch Bannon yeah. walks in and says uh, – this is really cool. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a really, it was an amazing moment, man. I mean, uh, Butch had the same kind of moment you speak of where it was like, this might be the best breakfast I've ever had. He, he had a moment yeah. where he was sipping on um, incredible geisha from Panama, eating the hash, and it just, like, as he says, threw him up against the wall. Um, and next minute my phone's ringing and I was at the roastery and this guy's like kind of, explaining his background and his story and he's like, look, I'd just love to come meet you. And 20 minutes later, he's at the roastery and we're, huh. we're sharing our life stories. And it, it, it felt like um, there was more to it and there was, um, mm-hmm. there was actually something interesting in it. And sure enough, I think it was actually four years from the, that date um, that when, we, we when we actually the opened the, the yeah. cafe in Portland, yeah, that, that we that Nolan spoke to Butch literally like four years to the day, yeah, yeah, um, which is pretty amazing. That's great. And Butch was living in in Portland at the time. Yeah, yeah he was yeah, living. Butch, no, he was actually, actually in, in Melbourne at the time for six months. Was in Melbourne yeah. um, with oh, his work, but okay. Portland is his home. And yeah. when he moved back, he was like, "Hey, why don't you? Why don't you guys come visit?" And we. We came over like um, like most silly people that go to Portland in the summertime. and like, yeah. this place is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we're like, oh, my God, I don't want to go back to Melbourne, yeah. you know, because it's weird. Fell in love with it. And I don't know. We, you know, it's funny, man, is, is on the plane back from Portland, I was Shari, there's just no way. We can't, we can't leave Melbourne and come to Portland. And, you know, it's just we've worked so hard to build what we did in Melbourne. How could we possibly um, leave our baby with someone else? And... We got back to Melbourne in that week and I'm, I'm behind the, the till in the Melbourne cafe serving a customer. And I'm at this point, man, in Melbourne, I have pushed the bar as far as I possibly could to the point that we were sourcing groats from a local, uh, local kind of like uh, grain supplier um, at the Masson Ranges and rolling them into oats fresh every day to make the, the oatmeal. Um, as incredible as it could be, yeah. and a house curd and all these other bits and pieces. And the customers at the till, and I'm like, oh, how was everything today? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it was okay. 
And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell, man? What, the, what, so what am I going to do to, like, yeah. um, be relevant again in Melbourne? Because Melbourne just had all the best things now and it kind of, like, felt like it was falling on deaf ears and I'm oh, like, screw it, let's, let's, let's start all over again and go somewhere else and do this. And it actually breathed life back into all the stores in Melbourne because um, suddenly it went from – you know, you, you know, you're you're in a flooded market when the people that you're that you're interviewing to come work for you turn around and start interviewing you. Why yeah. should I work for you? <laughs> right. And I'm like, this that that's not how this works. And when um when we announced that we kind of like, well, actually, there's opportunities presented in the US. Suddenly, all the best staff in Melbourne were just itching uh-huh. to kind of come work for us again, and that that has been. True till now, and it's, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, every, you have a lot of uh, Aussie staffers there, right? We've got a few. We did have, um, I think, if you were here three years ago, there would have been like a handful more. There was a yeah, few I feel like everybody was. living here that yeah. were like, hey. I feel like everybody was. Yeah. So, what is the difference between an Australia or a Melbourne, let's say, coffee shop and the USA? Is there much of a coffee culture difference now, or is coffee culture so global that it's kind of the same? The kind of well, no, the, the different things, man, and, and, and that's definitely why I, I would use the word restaurant, I guess, because yeah. mm. in the US you would probably describe it more as a restaurant, um, mm-hmm. but restaurants typically don't have an amazing coffee program. So the the Melbourne cafe would be um, a really good restaurant but with an incredibly uh, articulated coffee program as well and not as uptight as a restaurant might be yeah, much more you could, you right. could walk in with your flip-flops and kind of like casual and pay on your way out and yeah. it, you know there's no tablecloths kind of um feels casual um, music cranking and yeah. um and not serving alcohol like it's about the coffee and the food mm-hmm. We're here like it would be, you know, a restaurant would normally serve alcohol and we didn't serve alcohol at first at Proud Mary here in Portland because we were like, well, we're a coffee shop. Um, now we do. We have like a handful of things. The Arnie Pegs back in Melbourne as well, that is ju- in our roastery, that's just a coffee bar, which is an exception. Like people in Melbourne were like, you're opening just a coffee bar and you're not going to serve food. So we right. said, okay. Ah, but yeah, they're okay. like, and it's black coffee only, no it, sugar. It is um, funny. And they're that like, what? We did start to great. see a couple more of the American style coffee shop, mm. which would be really just coffee, maybe yeah. some some um, nice teas. Um, yeah. And pretty simple cake offering and maybe a croissant. That started to appear a couple of shops in Melbourne, and they were definitely interested in Melbourne because there was no nothing like that, you know. So, so I, I I don't know the coffee industry extraordinarily well, other than friends of mine that have worked in different places, worked for Dwayne in Portland, whatever. You know, yeah. I, I do know that the industry is very incestuous and and can be brutally. They can you poach one another and all these things, sure. and it's you know, yeah. it, it'd be a great TV show, right? Yes. Um, yeah, Said in the coffee industry, my yeah. God, and then you have the farming aspect. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so good. I'm sure there's been a bunch of, of treatments written on. I don't know why they haven't been made. A couple of coffee things. First of all, have any cafes gone to? You, you said you said no sugar. Has are there any cafes that are no sugar, no cream? Like you, you just can't dilute it. We we did that in Melbourne with Arnie Pegs. That's what Arnie Pegs is. And oh, okay. I can remember actually being on a trip in, was in El Salvador, and I was explaining it to some guys that were from Portland, and they were like, "Well, maybe maybe you should just put a little um, station around the corner there where no one really sees it, but that's where you've got your cream and your milk and sugar." And I'm like, "No, no, no." 
that that'll defeat the purpose. The, the the point is is we don't want to allow you to have what you would normally have every single day. We're going to push you out of your comfort zone. Yeah, we're a coffee roastery. So you walked into the roastery. You're at the cellar door. You wouldn't walk into a winery and ask for a beer. Right? right, so don't don't walk in here thinking you're going to get all your things you'd normally get at the cafe. That's just over there, and you can go there and get all your nice things. Okay, in here um, we want to share with you some of the best coffees on the planet, and we're going to keep it raw and simple, and therefore it's black only. And that it took a bit of massaging to work out how to articulate that in a way that wasn't offensive and was yeah. all-encompassing. And we're going to do that again here in Portland. And I've already been warned by a couple of the local guys working for me, like, are you sure you're ready for the, like, hang uh, on That's why I'm asking. Hang on a minute. Where's my cream? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I have a friend who who was wanting to do that with his coffee shop. And I just thought, my God, your your poor baristas would just be getting abused. Yeah, well, Let's be clear. I mean, there's not really, it's not a great business model in the sense that if you're doing that standalone, man, that's a pretty bold statement. That, in the context, this is sitting in our roastery. With your roastery, gives you the cover for it. Yes, and the roastery is already paying the rent. And now we've got a cellar door that becomes more of a brand ambassador. Yeah. And it, it became about. How well can you share the story? How well can you tell the story? Not how many lattes can you sell. Right. Um, and so we slowed things down. And that's incredible. And that's been like number one on uh, an app called Bean Hunter um, that rates the coffee shops in Melbourne since it opened till today. And it, yeah. if anything's gone up in score because it's just so um, focused on quality coffee but also not um, – I'm not trying to bring people up with it and help help them along. Yeah, and we sell retail products there, and people can be taught how to like brew coffee at home. Um, it's a real connect, and if people want to sit there, and it's just like I mean, you can go there on your own and engage with a barista face to face. You know, it's it's so close and personal, and for us, like the connection is everything. It's been re- it's been really great. My other coffee question, this is it. This is it for coffee. If you're if you're a super coffee head, I'm sorry. There's probably a ton of questions I should be asking these two, but I'm just going to I'm going to leave it here. But I want to learn about this because I'm ignorant of it. Tell me about freezing coffee. Okay. I noticed uh, you do it proud Mary. Yeah. And should I should I be doing it at home? Like what are the what are the rules and regulations yes. around Yeah, what's well, it's a, it's a great question, man. And um uh it needs to be done. Um, with some consideration, you know, you kind of want to take put a bit of care into it. Um, it's incredible, dude. I mean, um, the the green coffee itself can be frozen. The roasted products can be frozen. Um, I mean, you think about, uh, you know, what what kind of where I start to go is like, well, the most expensive tuna on the planet that gets frozen. Okay. Um, and it's frozen in such a way that you don't even lose the texture of the fish because it needs to be sashimi grade. Um, so there's technique to it. And, and if you wanted to get really nerdy on it, then you could get laboratory freezers and uh, uh, snap chillers and blast chillers. And, but the idea for us is to um, coffee, just like wine, a bottle of wine will have its moment where it really peaks and it really shines for this moment. Coffee's the same. And it, it, typically for us we find – about eight days after we've roasted it till about 12 days, it's really in peak, peak condition, especially if you've um, not exposed it to changing fluctuating temperatures. Um, at that point, if you freeze it, and I would 
if you had the access to it, a back seal, mm-hmm. um, a little portion, so that you could just literally pull out the amount that you need to brew a cup. Then you you can freeze all your coffee into portions. Uh, and okay, when, and right. when you decide, I want a coffee in the morning, you can just pull out a little portion frozen, grind it frozen, you have oh. – you have no quality loss at all, and what's what's amazing is you actually can keep it in that peak um, flavor for if it's back sealed for like six months. We've seen coffees that are just like in, still incredible out of the freezer, um, and so you can imagine you, you have a really expensive high end products like Geisha, which we would charge um, uh, you know fifteen dollars a cup for. Um, that's something that's hard to sell. You know, not many people are selling coffee for $15 a cup, so you're not going to move a lot of it. You can't afford to have that not be tasting awesome. You know, no one's going to be stoked with $15 and it just tastes like a regular coffee. It has to be special. So being able to preserve it, um, that's that's really why we started down that path. I'm, I actually think, man, this is the future for coffee, to be honest, and I think it's really like there's the, you're only going to see more of it and you're only going to um, hear more about it. I'm now pushing to uh, make sure that we get coffee from origin uh, without it rising in temperature, keeping it oh. stable the whole way till it gets to us and keeping it in a, a humidor essentially. So kind of like wine. Do you think you'll see that then in, in the wholesale world where, you know, you'd walk into like a Whole Foods or something and you'd have the beans frozen still? I as think well? there's a good chance that the future will have that, man. I think um, because it there is actually like, you know, coffee's been such a tricky thing to get, right? Because it, on the quality side of it, it's freaking complicated and you want to do it right. It's all these, like you said, wine, you've got to kind of like carefully uncork it and it got, it got too like, oh man, just give me a beer. Um, <laughs> exactly, and coffee is kind of the same. People are like, oh, I'm just going to do instant because I just have to add water to it. Um, I think there's a there's a world where we can still put out really good quality coffee products, um, but be smarter about it and make it easier for the consumer. And I think the freezer might be a an opportunity to explore that. Hmm. That's that's interesting. I would sure make it. You'd get a lot less. Wasted. I, I can't go through a 12-ounce bag. I don't drink it. Yeah, yeah, so so I, I spend you know, a good amount of money on a, on a nice 12-ounce yeah, bag. Yeah. And, I mean, let's be honest, I still use it all. Yeah. It's just, no, no, sure, sure, sure. It, it's, it's gone greasy me, and weird, you know, like a month later. Let me give you a tip, man, for home and for everyone else listening yeah. out there because not everyone's got a vaccilla and you don't have to use a vaccilla, but that would give you a longer time frame. If you, I have a vacuum cleaner. Okay. Does that help? Well, how about little, a little glass, little glass jars or little like the little weed canister, some, something about yeah. two, two ounces that is airtight and preferably no smell in it. Give it a clean. If you fill that full of coffee, the two-ounce jar is perfect because it holds about 20 grams of coffee, which is about one dose. Okay. Um, close it lid, make sure it's airtight, and freeze it. And so in my freezer at home, I have my 12-ounce bag but full of little glass jars. Of that coffee. And you just pop it open in the morning and yes. grind yep. it. Yeah, go. which one yep. today, you know, like, and you can have a selection then too. Yeah. You know, if you get a couple right. of different varietals. And, Pick your mood, you know. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And it helps you keep a good idea, a good uh, eye on, on on what's being made out of your out of your roaster, right? Sure. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think what you said before, waste, I think that's where it, this is interesting, mm-hmm. man. I mean, when COVID hit um, and we had to close the store, we had a freezer 
full of coffee in glass jars for the cafe. And we had a, a, a month's worth of stock. Mm-hmm. Really a, expensive. Yeah, sure. So it was a considerable amount and we could not open the cafe because of COVID. We didn't reopen with a takeout model for about a month later and those coffees tasted freaking amazing right until every last drop. They didn't lose quality. I didn't lose a single bean. Every other cafe that had to close, would have lost it all. there would have been a significant loss in product. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's that's pretty compelling. All right. So frozen coffee. Yeah. That's, that's the future. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking I, about I don't think it's going to go away. It won't be for everyone, but it's not going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> what about the opposite of frozen? What about what does coffee in a, in a heating world look like? Not good. In a, in, in a, how, how different are things going to be from, from a warming world in 20 years on the grower side? I mean, no, it is moving already, dude. I mean, the, the, the regions are moving and uh, the quali- quality locations are moving. Um, yeah. it's, it's tough. Definitely the heat. The heat's not great, you know, for, for coffee at all. Good to grow it. But once once you've produced it and dried it down, you want to kind of keep it. Yeah, you don't want it. You don't want it to continue to um, dry down. So the higher the higher end coffee is going to be the most challenging. That's what we're going to see more loss on. You think? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe we'll just see the price go up, and I think that's what it should happen. Right. Is that yeah. maybe it'll be like, well, actually, I'm going to produce it, but it's going to cost me more money to produce it because I need to. Um, now irrigate and do other things that kind of um, are a bit more modern and require investment into the into the farming and um, or maybe different processing. Like we're very much as a brand into natural process or anaerobic process, which is like essentially not wash coffee, so it's not using as much water. Um, we find that that like different processing methods far more interesting, especially oh, they have to be done right the processing. But I think that's a really I love that we have so many washed coffees because it's better for them. I mean, sorry, um, natural processed coffees or anaerobic because it's better for the environment, less water. Um, so, yeah, things like that. Um, my guess is that there's room to roam on the price and, and not to – I mean, th- th- at the end of the day, caffeine is, is an addictive substance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like uh, um, I don't want to compare it to cigarettes, but, you know, the price people will pay for a pack of cigarettes <laughs> – yeah, is in, is insane to me, especially in California sure. or states where there's a big taxation, right? And there's a lot of room to go before coffee has that kind of, you know, price. Yeah. Um, so I would think that there's room. People out there might kind of grumble, thinking, oh, "I don't want to pay, you know, two dollars more a cup." But the yeah. fact is, you love coffee. It's part of your morning routine. Yeah. People will pay the extra couple bucks, and and they'll get- sure, uh, especially if you get something out of that. Like if if we, yeah, yeah. I mean. Sometimes I think also, dude, uh, what's interesting is people actually want to spoil themselves. People actually want to have something nice. They want to have a moment that they can remember. And I, I, I think of like one of the best restaurants in the world, the Fat Duck in Bray in London, and I, we had a talking through with the sommelier and the sommelier was telling me over dinner, he's like, man, we had this time where we just couldn't sell these really expensive bottles of wine. We couldn't work out what to do and how to move it. And they're like, you know what we should do? And what's that? I'm like, put the price up. And so they increased the price on these bottles of wine. And sure enough, they started moving. So, uh, yeah. Point being, psychologically, I think we we do um, sometimes want to spoil ourselves and, and actually we feel a sensation of value when we pay what it's worth. Yeah. 
if it's too cheap, sometimes it's like, oh, is it really that good? You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a there's a similar story, but much older, I think in the 60s, uh, Cuddy Sark. Cuddy Sark whiskey wasn't wasn't selling, uh, I think it was in Japan. They just doubled their yeah. prices. Yeah. And uh, boom, you know, it yeah. started to sell. Now it was a, a premier, it was a premier item. You know what? Maybe I'll do that with the uh, Super Nice Club hats. Yeah. Yeah, make them a hundred dollar hats. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? That pretty sweet. hundred dollar hats. We're just gonna we're gonna do it. So I do want to know before we go. I want to know if you guys have any advice. Um, back to being a couple. You know, any advice to give to other couples, just kind of in general, and how to make it work. You know, so any any anything that you guys have any secret sauce that you discovered along the way. You know, I mean, it, we've we've learned everything the hard way, dude. You know, like I, I wouldn't yeah, we say have. we. Yeah. So, so this is coming from uh, some wisdom of experience of going through the hard times, you know, and um, 2020 had to be the, the hardest year ever in the last 22 yeah. years, hospitality, man. It's been brutal and that's meant some deep um, soul searching and like just looking into it. And um, I think what, we, what we've learned as a couple in, the, in 2020, what came out of that was, man, I feel like more than ever, um, I need to be me and allow myself yeah. to be me and to be an individual and to allow Shari to be an individual and yeah. to support her in whatever that looks like. And so in this last year, we've kind of learned to find ourselves as individuals again. You can become very merged kind of blob almost as a married couple, right. especially with kids yeah. and business. Yeah, you, Shari put a lot of weight um, making things easier for me at home. I put a lot of weight in the business um, and that's great, but um, it's really nice to be able to also stand on your own feet as an individual Um, and I think that's what what we're excited about. The next chapter for us in our life is claiming back, you know. um, And being more balanced. We talked a lot about like how hard you have to work um, to build a business and, yeah, you have to do that, but I think there were definitely times where we should have been more balanced as individuals and there was some pretty big sacrifice that like you know comes at a bit of a cost um Mm -hmm. so that balance i think also can sustain you um as a parent you know whether it's being a mum or a dad or as a business owner whatever you've got to you've got to like be good to yourself not be too hard on yourself you know um so this crisis of 2020 and and 2021 so far yeah uh it's kind of forced you guys to recognize that and, and come to some big realizations around balance, huh? 100%. I mean, I, I, it's been um, the mental health, the um, depression, the uh, overload, the overwhelm, the, the um, trying to – I've been trying to hold this thing. That I can't hold it, dude. It's, it's too much. And I've had to learn just – I'm learning it right now to be okay with it not being okay. I can't make it okay for everyone. Because um, it's just it's it's bigger than we are, man, and that's really hard to sit with because um, it's something we've worked so hard at for so long to get all those details right. But unfortunately, we just have to we have to move with those the times that are around us. And I like Shari said, be gentle on ourselves um, where we can. Things will change. There'll be uh, lots of opportunities in the future. And uh, for now, you know, I was almost saying to Shari um, yesterday, we're both feeling like a bit kind of like tired and i'm like well you know what it's it's winter maybe we should (laughs) maybe we should slow down yeah maybe we should stop doing so much and just like hibernate a little bit you know it's okay we don't have to um solve it all so i think um 
I think it's important that we uh, are gentle and take it day by day, you know. I think we're processing, yeah. like, as, like, the human race at the moment, I feel like we're processing, like, trauma and anger and hurt and there's, like, this old world is crumbling before mm-hmm. us because we're going to build a new world. Sure, and the shit that society put on us that was, like, actually, was that, was that shit right? I don't think it was, you know. Yeah. Um, it's and a lot of unraveling. Yeah. We can question it and I think if we all start, like, even just once a day, if everyone just thinks, like, let's just imagine a world where there's just enough for everyone. Yeah. You know, we don't need too much, but if everyone just has enough, then the world would be a much better place, you know. I yeah, the idea of sharing on every level. Yeah, it's 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 a big thing, right? Sharing, yeah. sharing resources, um, the idea of the commons. Yeah, you know, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, is huge. It's such a huge and, and sharing. Also of ourselves, yeah. sharing what we really think, not yeah. being afraid to share our fears, not being yes. afraid to share, yeah. you know, our insecurities in times like this. Because a lot of people, and I'm going to say, I'm going to generalize that it's more of a masculine thing. Yeah. But yeah, you know, we don't want to share with our partners that we're afraid that we might be unable to shoulder this burden. Sure. Because uh, it takes so much pride reasonable. in that. Right. Well, that's how we were raised, yeah. right? As men, we were raised yeah. Yeah, to yeah. don't yeah. cry, yeah. pull your socks up, yeah. harden up. You know. And yeah. I actually think the, the stronger men right now are being vulnerable and raw and letting people know, like I'm letting my kids know that, you know, it's okay to cry and it's, it's okay. Tough. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's important that we um, actually feel those emotions and express them as opposed to trying to um, – Ground them out with some kind of medication. You know, it, it needs to be. It needs to just be be there. It's okay. It's better to flex than to crack. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And too many people are on the verge or have already cracked. So this is. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys a curveball question. It's a new part of the thing that I put in as we wind down. Are you guys ready for a curveball absolutely. question? Just out of the blue. All right. This one just came to me right before I walked into the booth because it it bothered me this morning. Do you guys have a glass shower? You know, like where the walls are glass, like one of the walls. You know what I'm talking about? I, I know yeah. what you're talking about, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, so you know what they are. That's not the question. The, the question is, you know when people use, like, use a squeegee uh-huh. to, to wipe the glass down after every shower because you don't, you don't want them to stain? Yeah. You, know, you, don't, you don't want the, the hard water to yeah. – I mean, I do it, right? I use a squeegee in my shower. But it's so demoralizing because it steams up again the second you get out of the shower, right? Right. Yeah. The glass is still a little bit wet. And and even if you're good and you wait for the condensation, to, then you wipe it down again, it, it doesn't matter. The deposits build up and everything looks dirty and gross. And and, and I'm going to hyperventilate here because it causes me such a, yeah. such a problem. Was okay. That, so the question is, the question, it was a hard morning, man. <laughs> me in the shower and the squeegee. The question is, do shower squeegees make sense to you guys? Or, or are they just there to 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 point to point to the futility of the human condition? Like, mm. th- th- there's no fucking way we're going to overcome entropy, right? Yeah. Not now, not in the shower, not in the end. Yeah, that's my question. Yeah, do squeegees serve a point? I think they're there to like mess with your head. No, for sure. Yeah. Yes, we, we've <laughs> like, yes, yeah. We yeah. you notice we've got a squeegee. I know at the like, we've, got, yeah. we've, we've Bought our first house this year out in Tillamook Forest and in, on the Wilson River, beautiful property and nature. It's like it's a great escape. And it has a glass door in the shower and it has a squeegee in the bathroom hanging up. And I've yet to use it. No, I've looked, um, at, I've looked at it and consciously gone, it's funny when you said that because I've looked at it and gone, I am not doing that. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, hey, hot tip though, and this is one that we're learning because it is a rainforest, but the yeah. dehumidifier in the bathroom is amazing. It, I think it. it could like it could be helpful. It would be so I mean, steamy. yeah. The the other thought <laughs> where I go is the water quality, and LA, I think you might have issues with minerals in the water content. And that is yeah. going to leave a mark on the yeah. clean glass, dude. Um, Get rid of your squeegee. <laughs> Just let it go. Yeah. Can I let it go? Let yeah. it go. I guess what I'm really asking for from you two as I'm sharing my my issues is for permission to let go of the squeegee. I mm. give you permission. Do you grant me permission? Yes. I grant you permission. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. All right. So we moved through that. Um, and then – Super nice challenge. I think maybe, Shara, you issued it a moment ago. I think you may have. But do you guys have something that, that you can put out there for people uh, that are listening to this and members of the Super Nice Club, uh, something they can do to make their world a little bit nicer place? Well, I, I would just go with what I said before about, like, let's just all sit and contemplate, even if it's like 30 seconds, mm. how do we want the world to be? Well, I think that's actually really good. And you know what I would, I would second that, but I would say – um, let's all think something positive and nice and put some like warm thoughts out there for others, not just for ourselves. Yeah. Um, because right now in the general consciousness in the world, it's really heavy and it's really hard and there's a lot of weight. And more than ever, I think we need to kind of like um, put some put some love out there and it's going to do wonders. Um, we just need to kind of like actually stop and do it for, for a minute or two every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. All right. So challenge is accepted and it's just a matter. And you guys, this is not a tough challenge. It's just stop and, and put out some good vibes. Mm-hmm. Take, yeah. But take a moment to consider doing it and, and make it, maybe make it, okay, part of your coffee ritual. How's that? Because 86% of you out there have a coffee ritual. So as part of your ritual, maybe after your first sip and those, those that first, you know, um, moment where your addiction is satisfied, you're like, oh, Yes. Think of something nice. Mm. Yeah. You know, let's do that. And then lastly, we wrap it up. You guys get to ask a question of me. You can ask anything you want. It's a time where you get to interview I mean, the host. Well, I feel like I'm, I'm curious for you um, personally. I mean, the, the biggest the biggest um, take-home or lesson from 2020. Ooh, the biggest take-home or lesson from 2020. You know, I'd like to just cheat and say, oh, it was, you know, that I need to open up more about my myself, my struggles with the squeegee. Um You know, I'm going to say the biggest take home for me was, has been, and it, I haven't learned the lesson completely. It's, it's something I'm still processing, which is not dissimilar to what you said a moment ago about taking the foot off the gas, mm-hmm. you know, because it's winter. Uh, I've been going so hard when, when COVID started, I thought, okay, um, I, I, these income opportunities are shrinking. These over here are some doors that are opening. I'm going to go really hard at this, this, and this. and But it was hard to measure. It was hard to have success metrics because I was, felt like I was kind of operating in this in this vacuum without a lot of the regular feedback that I would get. And so without having to answer to a set schedule, I, I've been really beating myself up about not getting enough done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get a lot done, but it's it's never enough. Right. Because where, you know, where's the big success? You know, where's the big thing? Where's the so 2020 has been really hard for me to uh, to be nice to myself 
in that way. And I think the last quarter of it, I finally started allowing, giving myself permission to relax a little bit. Yeah. Right. Uh, giving myself permission to just not beat myself up. If, if I didn't, you know, jump out of bed and immediately start working and call myself a slacker and just all this sort of negative self-talk uh, yeah. around my work ethic. Yeah, I feel really like cool. so, many people have felt like that this year. And it's, yeah. it's so nice to hear you be vulnerable and say that. I'm just hoping it sticks through. Like, but it's, 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 it's a razor's edge, right? Because yeah. if you let yourself get away with too much, you're like, yeah, I don't feel like I need to work today. I'm just going to stay in bed and, you know, eat popcorn and... Uh, you know what? You know, watch TV. I think it's okay interesting, man. Is what what kind of yeah. work are we doing? And you know, the super nice yeah. club. I mean, I, I think um, the society has put a lot of ideas around what success looks like and what good work looks like and what how much you got done looks like. Man, there's a ton of work that we need to do on ourselves to be super nice and to actually be authentic and genuine and real and raw and vulnerable and role models. And that doesn't always look like success in the society's eyes but really right now i think that's the work that we should all be doing you know is being gentle amen to that being real amen to that amen Mm. to that so uh, i really appreciate talking to you getting to know you both a little bit i love i'll just put this out you guys can't see them but i do have enjoyed there's a nice connectivity between these two well they're splitting and and an earbud Earpods that, that kind of weaves them together a little bit, but also the body language. They've they've been checking at each other as they as they as they cogitate, and their minds are thinking how to answer. They're looking over and like, it's just nice. Clearly, you, there's a there's a connection there that also comes through your business. Mm. You know, comes through the details and the love of what you're doing. I, you guys, proudmarycoffee.com. It's in the show notes, but. You've got to be interested in what this coffee tastes like by now. You guys ship all over? Yeah, we are, yeah. Yeah, yeah they ship all over. So go onto the website, check it out, follow them on Instagram. Again, it'll be all in the show notes. But uh, order yourself some coffee because if you don't, you're not going to be able to to execute the super nice challenge in its purest form that Shari gave. You might be able to execute it, but it won't be with Proud Mary Coffee. So it, it's the best you're going to be able to achieve is probably like an 8 out of 10. So 10 out of 10 means with Proud Mary Coffee. I, that's my little plug. How'd I do? Was great. it a good plug? Yeah, you did yeah okay, cool. All right, all right. Yeah, hey, thanks, you guys. Really great talking to you. I will see you next time up in Portland. I will bring with me the man who introduced me to you, Dave Savage, who has been to your place dozens of times, maybe a hundred times. He's the Portland's biggest uh, coffee connoisseur. So right. bring him with me. We'll come in. We'll say hi. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks so much for hosting. It was awesome. So there you have it. A super nice talk with the founders of Proud Mary Coffee. Aren't they amazing? Ah, and and just, you don't know how great I feel having the whole squeegee thing, the, the weight, the weight. I have room for so much more in my life now. And I hope that their passion and how they made it through without just, you know, limitations, without silly hangups uh, inspires you, you know, because they're kicking butt. They're even, they're even opening up a new place in Austin, Texas which is, if you're in Austin, that's a cool thing for you, right? Right, Austin? I hope so. Um, Next week's podcast is with Jennifer Turlock of Maker Kids. She's up in Canada, which is that nation that sits up on top of the United States. And they are doing incredible stuff teaching young kids um, how to transform themselves into into androids, into Terminators, basically, through coding and, and body modifications. 
and uh, you know, just taking apart their their things at home, like like computers and PCs, and inserting them into their body and wiring it up, and then just becoming, you know, stronger, faster, better, smarter humans. Or maybe maybe they're focusing more on coding and robotics programming. I think maybe that's it. I don't quite remember the conversation. It's either kids that are turning into death machines of the future, or kids who are turning into really really smart kids that can save us from death machines in the future. Either way, it's going to be episode number 52 with the wonderful Jennifer Turlock, and it'll be next Tuesday. So subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Until then, I love you and stay nice. Just become 10% more